This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. The best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash writing. Click the supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and please feed the daddy. This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Audible. Audible has audiobooks for every passion. Do you like cooking and sexual harassment? Well, get the Babo Cookbook by Mario Batali. The Babo Cookbook, a good name. Love quirky stories and sexual harassment? Get Lake Wobegon Days by Garrison Keillor. People tend to not think of him because he's not famous, I suppose, but still a creep. Interested in acting and sexual harassment? Buy Are You Anybody? A memoir by Jeffrey Tambor. I think we know who he is. Uh, I was looking for a Charlie Rose book, but I could not find it because uh, apparently he's never written one. But just to let people know this story, I was in an elevator with him about a about a month before he got uh, in trouble, and he did not look good. He he looked like he knew what was go- was going to happen. But anyway, <clears throat> sorry. But anyway, if you love hearing the books of bad men, go to Audible. They will not delete it. You can write them. They will not delete it. They love those books. Start your 30-day free trial of Audible by going to boardwalkguy.com slash audible, and you get two audiobooks to keep whether you sign up or not. Get a Batali, get a Keeler, don't get the Tambor. That's boardwalkguy.com slash audible. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson, and wow, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, so I've tweeted about this, but in case you don't follow me on Twitter or anything, I spilled Diet Dr. Pepper on my laptop uh, about two weeks ago now, which is you know, unsurprisingly not good, but also unsurprisingly very funny. So it's kind of been an interesting time. Uh, but I'm back, baby. The podcast is back. Viva la cast. Uh, hopefully we won't miss an episode for a long while. I changed a couple of things. I put the Amazon thing, so I don't have to do it every, uh, every week. I put it at the beginning. No one probably gives a shit, but it's, uh, nice for me. So, our guest this week is Ben Warheit. He's a UCB guy who's done some animation stuff. He wrote for the Awesomes. He's currently a writer at Late Night with Seth Meyers. So here is Ben Warheit. <laughs> Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, where are you from originally? Malibu. You're from Malibu? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the, I guess we should say, this is the third time we've done this. I had a couple technical issues, but we're all good now. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, so Del- Small wonder. <laughs> did you like growing up in Delaware? Uh, I did. I like growing up in Delaware. Delaware, um, yeah, I like my hometown. Uh, were, were you into comedy? I loved watching comedy. I watched like Comedy Central a lot, and I would tape like stand-up specials off of it. And uh, I don't know if I was like more into comedy than anything else, um, but I I did like comedy, and I liked uh, funny things a lot. What uh, what specials did you watch? Do you remember? Um, <laughs> I I mean, uh, I remember Kevin James sweat the small stuff. Okay. I remember watching that one a lot, and. Uh, was it Michael Ferrara? Uh, I mean, like back then, I I, uh, I mean, Chris Rock. Uh, I loved Eddie Murphy, like Chappelle. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kevin James. I've never seen a stand-up. I hear it's like actually uh, very good. Yeah, he's a despite good, what many people good like would think. Maybe. Yeah. 
Uh, he's a great performer, really good performer. There's a the end scene of uh, that stand-up special is like a silent scene where he is in a greeting card store, just like doing, um, kind of like mm, miming out behavior to uh, music about uh, like reading a greeting, reading different greeting mm-hmm. cards and deciding on one. And it was brilliant. It was really, really great. Worth worth checking out. I guess he is he's like a pretty good comedic actor, like in those uh sitcoms and, and uh Here Comes the Boom. Mm-hmm. I never saw it, but <laughs> I didn't see that either. Yeah, um I think he is. I think he's a really great performer and he probably hit like a point where he uh got so um famous and uh like successful and lucrative that he could just sort of like take it easy and he probably liked taking it easy. And uh, just did that. Yeah, yeah. You don't. I can't. You can't blame anyone for that. No. Uh, <laughs> were you? Uh, were you doing any comedy stuff growing up? I was uh, shooting videos in my like house and backyard and neighborhood um, a lot. Lots of videos. Uh, I don't know if at the time I considered that comedy, but I think that's what that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were you interested like in, in movies at all? In movies? Yeah. I don't think it specifically, not like more than most people. So was it more like the, I don't know, like the just having f- creative fun? Yeah, playing, playing, playing. Around, yeah. Do you remember any of those like videos were, were like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, recently, my mom got them converted onto a DVD, and I got to see some of them. I mean, they're really bad. Like, they're <laughs> embarrassing, but like, uh, I'm, I'm sure I was learning a lot at the time mm-hmm. when I was doing that. They're like... Um, a lot of, uh, you know, mimicking like action adventure stuff, uh, with, oh, I, th- I think there was one I can recall called the sniper where it was just the story of like, a guy- I think I made this with a kid I was babysitting and, uh, he was a sniper and I was his victim and, uh, he was just like hunting me down. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so it's just like the two of you and you're like one person shooting it while the other person's acting in it? Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, were you in, in high school, were you doing any comedy stuff? Um, I mean, not outside of the shooting videos, I was in a Jewish youth group called BBYO. Um, oh, I know BBYO. Yeah. And uh, I was elected to the position on our chapter's uh, board where I was the secretary and so every week we would have these meetings and this is just it was just like a club for jewish kids and there was like a girls group and a boys group and uh i can't for the life of me remember remember like what sort of business we had to attend to every week but we would meet every week and discuss uh, <laughs> like whatever it was we were ta- uh, the business we were doing putting together like social functions and volunteer work kind of functions and stuff like that and i my job as secretary was to you know, write down all the important events uh, or uh, things discussed every week, and at the top of every new meeting, uh, read uh, read the minutes of last meeting. But that was essentially just um, like a comedic breakdown of what happened last time. <laughs> that was completely absurd and and had no bearing on reality. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, that combined with my job also being in charge of the newsletter that we would put out where I would, you know, write funny articles and be the editor of that and, like, put comics and stuff was, I guess, my first sort of actual, like, writing 
comedy mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Did uh, did people like it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, <laughs> we had we definitely had the best newsletter. We were the Wilmington Grapevine. Everybody wanted ours. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we would go to conventions around the tri-state area. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were going to college, did you did you know what you wanted to do? No. Um, no, not at all. And I wasn't that interested either, really, in figuring that out. I, um, I mean, I was, I was like, I'm going to take classes uh, in, in science stuff. I knew that because I liked science. And my parents, my dad's a scientist and my mom was a medical librarian. And, and um, that, you know, I grew up in just like a science household. And it was kind of just the thing that sort of was like, you know, this is how you know you're doing all right, I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, get good grades in science and, you know, nobody bothers you. That's the kind of thing. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I was interested in psychology, and um, I decided to go at the intersection of the two in neuroscience. And so I'm, that was my major. I took a lot of psych and bio and, and science courses, and I minored in music. So I just did the things that, like, looked legitimate on paper combined with, like, things that were fun for me. Mm-hmm. And as long as I kept my grades up, nobody bothered me about it. <laughs> Do you think, like, that, that science background has, like, helped your comedy writing at all? I think so. For, well, it's definitely influenced uh, the my life view. Um, because I think I... I mean, I, I couldn't... I don't know if I could give you specific examples, but I think I have a kind of... Uh, like scientific method approach to just the world in in a mm-hmm. like less holistic way than maybe other people that I've encountered. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean by that? Um, like uh, like things need to uh, add up in a sort of preponderance of evidence sort of way. That, oh, okay, you know, um, and like I don't know. I think that. Like I said, it's hard. It's hard to sort of describe what it means, but like taking classes in in biology and organic chemistry and statistics and like you know neuroanatomy. These courses you learn things about like the way uh, uh, processes and systems work that you didn't know before, and then shortly after you forget how you know what you learned. But you're still sort of left with this impression, mm. um, and I think it's it's that kind those kinds of impressions that have like led Interesting. me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you graduated, Maybe college, most, a lot of people I would say probably don't forget everything that they <laughs> learned. So so what did you do after uh, college? Um, after college, I moved to New York City. Uh, um, I guess about like two or three months later, I. Mm. I knew I wanted to move to a city, and um, I was sort of kind of thinking Chicago, um, if it wasn't going to be New York. I knew I wanted to uh, delve into more improv and comedy. Um, I knew I wanted to be in a big city, and uh, a lot of, I was, I did, excuse me, I did improv at at school at the University of Delaware and some of my best friends were in this group and a lot of our alumni from that group had moved to New York City Mm -hmm. 
And um, we had being in Delaware, we're close enough to New York that we would come up a lot and see shows a lot and stay with our alums like on their couch and floor and stuff like that. And it just looked like a thing you could do. And so I did it. That's mm-hmm. why uh, I was like, yeah, if they're doing it, I'll do it too. Is that when you started doing stuff at uh, UCB? Yeah. So I, I moved uh, to New York um, in, I want to say, either August or September of uh, 2009, so almost 10 years ago. And um, I got a, my first apartment was in the East Village. I was subletting a room for 900 bucks a, a month uh, from a guy um, who was uh, in, 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 uh, uh, quite a big figure. Like a, he was a, a circus freak at Coney Island. And it, um, he was his name was Eek the Geek, and he is the full body tattoo man. Whoa! And uh, Eek the Geek. Yeah, so kind of like a, a, a Coney Island staple figure. That guy doesn't strike me as a geek at all. Uh, I I think there was a the geek is a circus term. Right. Uh, okay. For people who bite the heads off of chickens. I don't know that he did that. <laughs> he, it's possible that he did. He was uh pretty nuts. Um he was like this massive like <laughs> tall, bald, like wide, huge um dude with full body and full face and head tattoos and he would do the he does the uh thing where you lay on the, all the spikes and uh, somebody hits you with a hammer, and he like eats glass and stuff like that. Whoa. And um, when I, you <laughs> he know, was your roommate. <laughs> well, yeah. When I first showed up in the city, like I had looked on Craigslist for a place to live because that's what I, you know, you do when you don't know anything. And um, like my dad drove me up, and like I met this guy, and like I talked to him for like ten minutes, and and he seemed like, you know. Uh, it's like, wow, this, I mean, he's a character. I'm sure this is going to be a fun experience. (laughs) And then I moved in and he turned out to be like a major crazy person. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, in the way that like, he never stopped talking to me from the second that I would like come into the door and just never stopped. Like he was like a running monologue and I would go into my bedroom eventually and, and like even shut the door and he would just talk at the door. Whoa. Um, and then when I finally decided to, to move out of there a couple months later because I got a job and, and I was going to move into a, like a different apartment with Elise with my friend, he threatened to beat my ass and he, and he, <laughs> he was so upset because I think I was his source of income. He was, he was sleeping on the floor of the living room. He was saying so it was like a one bedroom. It was one bedroom, and oh. he said, "He's like, I'm gonna put up a partition in the living room and bring in a cot, and like you won't even see me." But he never did that. He just <laughs> and he didn't even sleep on the couch most. Like, he slept <laughs> like on the floor, like on a little mat pad on the floor. Whoa! Yeah, it was really nuts. Really I wonder nuts. what he's up to today. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's a good question. I had recently walked by that apartment building and his name is still on the uh oh. the the keypad number list wow yeah so maybe he's still there maybe he's got like a rent control thing yeah i would imagine yeah yeah wow that's cool yeah <laughs> i nuts. wonder what, yeah uh so uh were you uh so you doing improv when you first moved here yeah i i moved here and i started up doing an intensive at ucb mm-hmm. with chelsea clark and I think Chelsea and Greg Tupolesco, maybe. 
Um, yeah, did an intensive, like a week long. Jesus, that fir- the, the first two months I spent in New York City felt like a full year, Yeah, I think. Because, like, I still have so many memories of, like, what happened then. And, like, I couldn't tell you, like, what happened in the last two months that was, like... <laughs> Like, I, I just remember so many things that had happened then. Why do you think that is? Because it was, like, such a new life? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was it was the biggest, you know, I, I, it's hard to conceive of it at the time, but, like, it was the first time I had, like, upheaved my entire life. And, um, I mean, outside of, like, summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you when you were doing improv, was it something you knew, like, you immediately liked? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, uh, who like, who were your teachers throughout? Did you did you do all the classes like back to back to back to back? Oh, pretty much. Yeah, I let's see, Chelsea Clark, Greg Tuklescu. Um, I had uh, Kevin Hines. I had Will Hines. I had um, Curtis Gwynn, Anthony King, Shannon. Um, I took some classes with Becky Drysdale and Christina Gaussis, uh, outside of UCB. Um, and, uh, I'm sure there's people I'm forgetting. Yeah. Did you, did you ever do a sketch? Did I take it? I took a sketch 101 with Ari Vakitis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Because what was sketch like, uh, back then? It probably wasn't as, as big as it is now. I don't know. I don't really remember. I mean, like, it was like we would, sh- you know, have kind of like assignments of what we were supposed to write, I think, every week. And then we'd come in and read it and get feedback on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the class was like you know, 12 people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Jen Statsky was in my 101 class, oh, yeah. but uh, she, like, left halfway through because she got herself, like, some writing job. Oh, really? Yeah. Can't now imagine. she writes on like all the best stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine someone leaving a, like a 101 UCB sketch class <laughs> to go do like a real job. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so during that time, are you thinking of yourself as like an actor or like a writer or just like a guy who's just doing improv for fun? Well, at the time, I was working at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, uh, doing uh, as a research technician mm. um, in their heroin and opiates study lab. In, in the whoa, that's division. very yeah. serious. Yeah, it was that was a and I was also like really for some reason I was like I have a job, I have an apartment. I'm doing comedy. I'm completely unconcerned with figuring out like mm. what where my life is going. I'm just going to do this for yeah. now. Uh how did um how did the uh Waco Valley come about? So when I was working at the hospital um I had an office with uh, no windows, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you know, not a lot of supervision for my day to day. So, like, I had the things that I needed to do um, a lot, of, like running the experiments with you know wh- when we had people coming in to do. We would put ads in the back of those free subway newspapers, like uh, the Metro and and. When you go to the back page, you see all those like come or like, do you have a problem with cocaine or like, do you, do you love you know, hookers or something? You know, like all those crazy uh, things in the back where you're like, well, why don't you come let us pay you to do that? And we, we were one of those ads. 
So I would put those ads out and uh, people would call in and be like, hey, I heard you're, uh, you want to give me 50 bucks to come in and do heroin? And we're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> and so uh, we would come in and depending on what the study was, they'd be in for a day up to three weeks. And they really just doing heroin? Well, we what we were doing were a couple different studies. So mm-hmm. one of them was uh, we were sort of testing the efficacy of a, a new configuration of an oxymorphone pill. An okay. oxymorphone is an opioid that's uh, similar in structure to oxycodone. Okay. Um, so it's Opana. You know, you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a lot of times when people who are um, have opiate addictions um you know they they use different opiates interchangeably they use what they can get and uh when these drugs are out on the street um they're uh you know uh, people pick up whatever they can and and say you go on the street and you're just you're trying to get high and you pick up a 40 milligram oxycodone pill okay so if you take it home and you're used to uh snorting to get high you'll crush it up and put chop it into lines and then you'll snort it if you want if you uh, inject it you know you'll crush it up and you'll uh, put it in water and melt it into a solution inject it in your veins this pill was testing a new configuration that couldn't be busted up into a powder and couldn't be melted into a solution it was kind of like a skittle like imagine trying to break up a skittle it's like squishy right and so i would have for this one study people coming in and they don't really know what they're doing there. They just know that it involves, like, um, you know, one of their favorite substances. And because these people are experts in doing that, um, we would need them to come in and have them try to break it up and get it into a useful form that they could use it. Um, because these are the people who, like, we need to know from actual addicts, like, what that would look like in their home. So I yeah. would film them. I would provide them with all the tools they would need, provide them with wow. a setting that, like, you know, resembled what they would use at home or mm-hmm. what, they, what it would look like at home. So um, I would ask them questions through it, and they try to get the pill in a usable form. And um, that was one of the that was one of the things. We well, did. that's really interesting. Huh? Yeah. And um, no one could ever do it, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. That did not stop people from <laughs> self-reporting that they would still try to inject it or snort it, even though it was like not anything resembling. Right. A, oh, geez. Yeah. Then another another study we were doing involved like, um, uh, you know, buprenorphine. Yeah, okay. I've heard of that. Um, well, we were we were testing uh, people's. Uh, let me see if I get, can remember this correctly. I think it was like, like their willingness to choose to use uh that instead of heroin Mm -hmm. and take money like like you can either take the heroin or you can take the bupe and 50 bucks per day and um because if if that's working and it's doing its job you should be fine you should want to do that um and so we would keep people on for like three weeks at a time for that but sometimes we would just we would have to like they don't know sometimes what they're taking because it's like they're blinded to what drugs they're actually getting so we would give them heroin from time to time wow. and you can definitely tell when they're on heroin yeah 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 wow a lot of interesting personalities came <laughs> yeah. in and out of there 
So you're you're uh, doing ads. You're putting you're putting on ad for that. Yeah. So okay. So while I was so that was my job is sort of like dealing with and bringing in uh, the people who were doing the studies. While I wasn't doing that, I was just sort of in my office doing data entry, and so I had like plenty of downtime. And when I was in my downtime, I would draw cartoons on post-it notes, and I would put them up on my wall in my office. And then I eventually started posting them on a Tumblr account. And uh, the Tumblr got kind of popular back when Tumblr was still something that people looked at. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a consequence of that, people saw it, and somebody uh, from my improv class like, who was a, a fan of these wanted to collaborate with me to make um, a, a cartoon version of something that I've done. And it would decided to do... Uh, I had drawn a bunch of cartoons of dinosaurs like going to work with people in, mm -hmm. in regular settings. And uh, that one seemed to me to be kind of amusing, and I, I wanted to kind of explore that. Mm -hmm. And turned that into a little teaser for something that we eventually sold to Above Average and turned into a web series. And that was Wake of LA. Why do you think your, uh, your drawings are popular on Tumblr? Why were they popular? I, you know, I think originally they, there was this website called the daily what that, um, whoever was running that site was a fan of them and he would repost them a lot and following getting like a, a kind of a surge from that, um, the, I think editors of Tumblr, like whoever was like in the creative of Tumblr, um, featured my page on like the like they had different like if you were signing up for a tumblr account you'd be like they would be like hey you have a tumblr account now consider following these pages mm -hmm. i was one of those ones that got featured and then yeah when did you like learn how to draw um i don't i i think i've always just sort of drawn i don't think that i have some kind like i'm that like i don't have like a strong skill of drawing mm -hmm. but i like to draw and i i think i have developed my like own style to some degree mm -hmm. um i don't know when that would have been <laughs> over time yeah. yeah i can't i can't draw at all i wish i could i doodle all the time too <laughs> just, yeah. just it does not look good yeah well i mean you can you everybody develops their own style i think <laughs> that's the important thing uh what, what gave you the idea of like um I guess of like so once you have like the drawings and you want to do dinosaurs at work, how do yeah. you like do the uh, plot of that? Um, okay, so that's the great thing is that when somebody like tasks you with writing a series, you have to figure out wait a way to fill the time, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when that's that's when I really do my best work is when someone's like, "All right, do something." I'm like, mm -hmm. "All right, I will." <laughs> it's much harder. Uh, when no one's telling you what your constraints are for, for me. Um, but they uh, ordered six episodes. So um, I sat down with the production company that um, I had been originally working with on it, and we wrote out six different episodes. What, what do you think makes like a good web series? Uh, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know that that's like a thing yet. Like, I've seen good web series, but like, um, we're we're not even in an era where people are like, 
you have to see this web series. Right. We're still not there. Well, <laughs> do, you, do you think that's like we're going to get there or do you think that's like never going to happen or happened maybe previously for a bit? But not I have really. no idea. I feel yeah. like maybe even web series aren't as popular as they were five years ago. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Which is, uh, I guess, makes sense because now every like because I was actually fine. I watched that show um, forever uh, on Amazon that mm. Jen Statsky I think wrote for. I watched that show and uh, I Google I Googled it and it was listed as a web television series, like almost as if it's listed as a web series, huh? Because on Amazon, I guess. But Amazon makes they make television. yeah they make television. I don't I know it was weird. Everything's really hard now. Like nobody, <laughs> no two people are watching the same thing. It's, yeah, it's really, it's unfortunate because I like I, I will find when when I hear that there's a thing that everybody else is watching, I'll try to make more of an effort to get into it, even if it's not something I would normally be interested in, because I want to, to some for some reason, be participating in the cultural. Yeah, I'm the same way. I think yeah. I, I miss the monoculture. I miss like like the last thing that everyone seemed to be watching was like maybe Breaking Bad. Yeah, but even that was like less yeah. than say like Friends. Right, back absolutely. in the day. Which uh, time Bird Box. Like I watched that just oh. because people were talking about now, it. Now see Bird Box. I think that that was like Netflix bots doing that because I I okay, I, but, I didn't but jump it's, in. But it still happened, right? That's that's true. But I don't know. It how was much an is... unremarkable movie. It was fine. Yeah, but it was like I I remember watching it and I couldn't tell you like, you know, in my mind I think I watched the movie Annihilation around the same time and mm-hmm. there's parts that I'm like I don't remember which was which. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like that was what the movie was like to me. I was like this is a fine thing. Um, I'm glad people are talking about something, <laughs> right, <laughs> and I, right? And I know what they're talking about. It's like uh, like Russian Doll. When we're recording this, that just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh. And I think it's already done. I think the cultural conversation on that's done already. Well, that's probably that might be true. Uh, Russian Doll is awesome. Like I think people word still could spread, and like more and more people could watch it. But there's not going to be one time where we're all talking about it at the same time because like it's not like we all watched episode three last night and today we're at work and we're like, right. what about that part when blah? Right. Like you know, like you have. You, you kind of digest the series at your own pace, and then you maybe have one conversation about it <laughs> yeah. with, like, somebody else. You don't have conversations every week about it. And that's, like, you know, that's how your mind, uh, you know, adjusts to things and, and gives them importance. Like, Breaking Bad, you followed for what? how many episodes per season? 12 or so? Like, yeah, probably 12 or so. So, okay, for 12 weeks, for three solid months... You and whoever else in your office or in your friend group was watching that would have a new thing about that to talk about every week mm-hmm. or multiple times a week, maybe. But like it wasn't so broad. It wasn't like a whole season you had to digest at once to talk about. It was one episode and you would talk about, you know, the, you know, the bigger or the interesting things that happened about that. And then maybe you even got together to watch them from time to time. Like it, it became something that was like a part of the backdrop of your life. And so it wasn't just about the content. It was about, like, how it, you know, kind of weaved in and out of you know, your right. experience with everything else. Um, there's not the same opportunity to do that with, with no. these shows on Netflix and Amazon. And as good as a show can be, it, you can't force... If, you, if you're not forcing a structure onto people like that, you're not going to get people uh, able to sort of... Uh, stimulate that that kind of momentum and maintain it mm-hmm. um you're not going to get people into a rhythm about it uh 
Russian Doll very well may be the most interesting thing to happen with, like on television in, in this winter. Uh, or at least for, maybe for me so far it was. Um, but I don't know how, you know, you know, to reconcile that with like, like I liked it, but I, I don't have, I don't have that ability. Did you see all of it? Nope. I saw the first episode okay. this morning. So that's okay. it. I saw it on the elliptical. Okay. Well, there you go. You've seen the first episode. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to you about the first episode, but like, I don't remember exactly <laughs> uh, how I was feeling like, yeah, 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 <laughs> after yeah. the first episode. Like I immediately watched the second episode. <laughs> So, like, how much of a conversation can we have? Yeah, not it? not really. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's, but yeah, it's, that's. I don't think that's changing though. I mean, that's obviously not changing. I think. Yeah. Well, there's no. Uh, it doesn't look like there's any kind of. Uh, you know, anybody pushing for it to change in, in that direction? Yeah, people don't really care. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that that's weird? I feel like people would care, should care more about that. It's bad design. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's kind of probably why, like, the Netflix talk shows have had some trouble is because that's the only thing on their platform that you do need to watch, like, each yeah. week as they come up. Yeah. The only yeah. thing we got like that right now is politics and, like... Yeah, politics is our new monoculture thing. Yeah. That we all discuss all the time. Well, how miserable are we all fucking... <laughs> to, to let this happen to us and we're all just like, no, it's okay. I mean, it, we all know it sucks, but, like, we all do participate in it. Yeah. It's so dumb. <laughs> uh so with waco valley back to uh-huh. waco valley uh when you had a web series you, you kind of pitched it around as a pilot right yeah how, how what was that process like well if, when the web series came out it was one of the first shows that above average debuted and um i sp- i think i spent a good amount of like the time working on that in the above average offices and i became close with a lot of the people in the offices uh jen danielson who was running it um josh Poole, who was producing and uh like i was just around them a lot and uh part of like that original boost of above average i i don't remember exactly like how long it was after like the web series came out but after it did um they liked it they liked what 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 it was doing for them and and jen danielson thought uh, it could be a half hour show and she asked me if I wanted to pitch it to networks and I was like of course yes I mean like <laughs> what else am I doing right <laughs> um, yeah I want to do that and she was like alright write up a treatment what were like the big changes from going from like a web series to a pilot um oh what's that yeah I don't know that's weird Big changes. Okay. Well, the the web series were kind of like they were like sketchy sketches. Like they were sim- They were like sketch like. Um, maybe they featured like one short storyline or two, um, but. They were like scenes. We ended up converting a, a few of those uh, web series episodes. We just like, oh, well, the big sort of like, I guess you would say like set piece of this is this scene where uh, where Craig interacts with a lifeguard. And uh, or like uh, like some redneck is yelling at 
the guys for in the movie theater or some like thing like that and was like okay that was sort of like the bigger moment of this well that can just be like a component like a scene that's what it is um i think i have a more more familiarity with writing shorter things and writing sketches so the concept of making a half hour show or like weaving these things together into a longer story was the more in the more or the less familiar thing to me and the idea of just sort of like weaving together these interesting moments and trying to sort of connect them into a like a, a story uh that in makes sense and, and is cohesive was the bigger challenge mm. for me uh, but I but I knew that I liked these certain scenes, and there was no reason not to sort of like include them as a as part of like the first showing of what this series could be. Yeah, yeah. And the and the pilot actually got uh, produced, right? Yeah. Have you? Oh, have you seen it? It's not like I haven't seen the pilot. Oh, oh, I didn't I, know the pilot I was like online. Send, I can send you the link. Oh, yeah. that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, were I mean, were you happy with it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really was. It was. Um, I think it turned out really well, and they, Comedy Central, there were like an, a lot of, there was a lot of support for it at Comedy Central initially, but I guess it, you know, what happens with pilots um, a lot of times is it just takes a long time, and over the course, like, uh, for, for them to, dis- for networks to decide what they want to do with it, and over the course of, uh, the time that Waco had gotten finished and submitted to them, um, the two uh, people who were in charge of Comedy Central East Coast who had brought Waco Valley into Comedy Central and who were the big supporters and, and one, you know the ones who were pushing it forward ended up leaving. First, it was Brooke Posh, and she ended up going um, to Paper Kite, I think, to go around Amy Poehler's company and Corey Stern, and he left uh, like a little while after. And um, you know, when you don't have those people who are like, "This is the project that we brought, and we w- really want you know other people to see, like this is our thing," you don't have you don't have representation there anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you have people maybe who like it or who don't. You don't really know what's happening, and you just you know, there was a change up and and. You know, I, I suppose when somebody new comes in, they want to make their own mark and right, do their right, own right. things. They don't want to just like sort of like pick up where the people who came before them left off with the decisions that they made. Um, so it just took like like almost half a year to sort of like get an answer. And then when we finally did get the answer, the answer was like, we don't know. And I was like, OK, and they're like we want you to write more scripts. Oh, and geez. so I ended up writing a few more scripts and then like waiting a couple more months. And then eventually it was dead. Yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with that like letdown of it not going to air and you're being pretty happy with how it turned out? Um, it was a huge bummer. We ultimately, you know, took it out and pitched it to other places. Um, like originally, there was some other interest, but it, you know, also didn't go through. And it's, it's weird. Like you know, you don't really know what people are thinking why people might want to bring it in or, or not. I think a lot of these, a lot of times, you know, if you bring something, you're like, hey, we made this with Comedy Central. It's fully formed. Uh, this is what it is. And you bring it to somebody else. They're like, well, we have thoughts about what we would have liked to have done with this. And, you know, we don't want, you know, 
that version of it, you know, so never mind, it's not worth it to us. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe that, I mean, like, that's just a thought. Who really knows why? Maybe people just flat out thought it sucked, but I thought <laughs> it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so after that, you wrote for The Awesomes. Yeah. How did that come about? So, um, after I had written the pilot for Waco Valley uh, and just submitted it, it was like right at that time that Seth Meyers was looking for a new writers for The Awesomes for the second season. Um, so my uh, agent, who was Ayala Cohen, um, who knew Seth from SNL uh, when she was a producer there, knew that he was looking for writers and got my script in front of him. And uh, he, he and Mike Shoemaker, who was uh, the other EP, who, his production partner, um, they liked it. And they wanted to talk to me on the phone. And so uh, they talked to me on the phone, and they hired me to write for The Awesome. What was that writer's room like? It was... <clears throat> The Awesomes didn't have a right like a conventional writers' room. We spent a weekend at Mohonk Mountain House in the Catskills, uh, beating out the entire second season. Oh wow! You, a, you did it in the, just in a weekend? In a weekend? Wow! In a boardroom, and uh, then everybody was assigned which uh, episodes they were going to write, and then we all went off and did it. And I think like, like. Uh, Dan Mintz, Dan Levy, they were both um, West Coast guys, so they went went back to the went back to L.A. Judd Winnick, he was in San Francisco, he went back there. I was um, in New York. Everybody was just sort of like wrote from their homes, I think. Whoa. Yeah. Do, do you do you like that like process of like just one weekend getting the story down, and then going off on your own? I, I it was it was good. For that, yeah. Um, I don't know if I like. I'm crazy about being told to just sort of like go into my house and write. Like I, I, I think having a place to go to write is really yeah. helpful for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know how true that is for me anymore. Like I, I write a lot of the stuff I write now, uh, in bed, <laughs> like, <laughs> like late at night. Um. And I have an office all the time that like I really don't like to write. <laughs> but you know what? That might also be because like I, our writers' room is very, uh, you know, it's filled with a lot of people, mm. and that's not really conducive for me to just sort of like hunker down and do right. deep work. Were you a, were you a fan of superheroes? Sure. Yeah. 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 I, I when I was a um, when I was in high school, I read a lot of uh, Justice League stuff mm -hmm. over the course of one summer. Did you? Uh, <laughs> did I really you? Deep dived. Did you? Uh, did you read more stuff for this uh, for the job, or just, or just you know, just general superhero? No, too? not really. Mm -hmm. Like the characters were already developed; it had already had a, a season. Right, right. Yeah. How do you uh, parody superhero stuff while also like delivering like a good superhero story? Um. Say that again. Well, I guess, like. The show is like uh, sending up superheroes. Yeah. So how do you do that while also kind of do, do like also giving the audience like the superhero story that they kind of want to see? Hmm. Well, all the characters have powers, so you find ways to use those uh, in the 
in their plot, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, you know, like you'll you know, you'll know you know that you're getting to like a fight scene or something like that, um, or that there's like going to be a big kind of crisis in every episode, um, and you think about like who can do what. But I think that just sort of comes out when you're writing it. I don't know if yeah. there's like a process for that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I have a tried and true process for for writing. I think what I tend to be able to do uh, pretty well is uh, be giving be given a challenge and rise to the occasion. <laughs> it's, it's not so much that I know how to write; it's that I I can figure it out. Yeah, if I need when I need to. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I get that. So you're very much like a deadline oriented person. Yeah, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. <laughs> uh, what, what what do you think are the hallmarks of a good animated series? Um, hmm. Well, uh, hallmarks of a good animated series. That's a weird. That's kind of a weird question. <laughs> I think like taking advantage of the medium, um, is 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 an important thing. Like, you couldn't make. Futurama or Rick and Morty in live action. Um, so, like, you you get to do a lot of the things that would, if they were to happen in live action, would be, like, billions of dollars of CGI. Right, right. Something like that. Um, and probably wouldn't look as cool or as stylish. Uh, I think um, grounded, you know... Str- characters with like strong grounding strong like personalities that like are consistent like i don't know for for some reason i think like like the character games i guess you would call them games like for bender leela and fry like you know what they're gonna do in every situation they're very consistent and they were you know it's like you can put them anywhere in in any kind of situation and and you can be like well what would bender say about this or do about this and you can have a strong opinion about what that might be because you know you've really developed them well they have strong characters mm-hmm. um if if it if what you're getting at is like well interchangeable like well, we have a funny line, but who says it? I don't know. We haven't given this character a line that much. Why don't we have them say it? That's not really as good. So right. You want you want to have strong characters where you're like, well, so and so is going to have this opinion, and so and so is going to have this opinion, and like that's it's beautiful because like when you have that, um, it makes the comedy a lot easier. Mm-hmm. How'd you get involved with uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers? Um, so. I wrote for The Awesomes, and then a couple months later, uh, Seth got you know, hired to host Late Night, and he brought me along with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think, good timing that I had just, you know, started working for him, and, like, things were going well. Mm-hmm. And, and I was working on The Awesomes, like... Uh, I was directing the voice actors a lot of the time because uh, we would record on the same floor that that we're all that we work on for late night and SNL's on. Oh, 
And so it became a thing like Seth and Shoemaker would, were, you know, the ones who were doing the directing and recording normally, but now they had a whole new set of <laughs> yeah. duties and they'd be like, well, we love to get over there, but like today's not so good. Ben, why don't you go do it? And eventually like I got into a good thing with it and I, I got a really good grasp on it. And I had, I already had some experience with that from Waco. Mm-hmm. What do you, like, how do you, how do you approach voice directing? Um, well, it, okay. So here's a problem with animation, uh, in some of the, in some of in some of my estimation a lot. I think that it's not unique to, um, the awesomes. I think it's more of a thing that happens in a lot of like bigger animated series is that like, they don't a lot. The actors won't have read the script ahead of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what it's like on like other shows. You know, maybe that's not true for like. I would say like Futurama and The Simpsons and Family Guy. They feature a lot of voice actors who are like professional voice actors. I don't know if that's different, um, but like I know that a lot of like new. Uh, animated things that come out they feature just kind of celebrity voices and so the way that works is you get um you get them for like a couple hours and they've never read any any of it before and they come in and they do it cold and then you don't really get to do to do any reshoots um and that was kind of what it was like working on the pilot too um and so you kind of just have to know all these lines front to back and like know be like, okay, this line, I want to hear it in a couple different ways and hear the ways I want to hear it. But first, I'm going to give the actor an opportunity to just do whatever comes right. to mind. And you just got to get it in a bunch of different ways. Um, but no, it's a problem that we cast big names as these voices because, you know, it's it's not it's not as... You, I don't think it gets you as much as you think right people aren't tuning in because they're like oh my god did you hear that steve carell is the voice the lead voice of this they're like jonah hills like no one gives a shit really right, like right. you can put the, maybe that's how you sell the show and like put it in commercials but like that's not going to make the show better in fact it's probably if you're casting jonah hill as your lead voice yeah he's he doesn't really care he's like a, a, a you know a big time hollywood actor and director and like this is just another thing he's doing and and like versus like there's so many strong performers that i know i mean even in just sort of like you know coming through the ucb community and the new york comedy community like there's so many interesting voices and strong performers and when you like when we were doing the web series for waco valley we were mostly using people from ucb like will hines was our main character's voice uh, Jim Santangeli, like these guys, they're going to read the whole thing. They're going to have a take. <laughs> they're, they're also really funny and really interesting and they have great voices. And that's, I think going to contribute more to the success of the show. When we did make it into a pilot, they wanted to uh, do away with some of the voice actors we had used from the web series to put in more celebs, big celebs. And um, it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, like, the, they did a good job, but, you know, they don't even... They, 
they don't know what it is. They they show up for like two hours of work. They don't even remember probably. Right. You know, a couple of them we got uh, like Rob Riggle and Jeffrey Tambor. We just like we had to do it over Skype. It's like, uh, well, yeah, it you know, sucks. it's like okay, yeah. And that's like that's like a thing that happens a lot in animation is doing it over Skype. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like like you said, I think that is probably how they they get the thing made, which sucks. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, DreamWorks, I mean, for years, I don't know, I can't remember. I used to care about that. But DreamWorks for years would always just have the big celebrities in, like, the worst movies. And, um, yeah. Just because you can do it over Skype doesn't mean that right. that's the way to go. <laughs> right. Like, it is cheaper, sure. Like, they, maybe this person is, like, in Los Angeles. I think, like, one of them was just upstate. <laughs> and like they didn't want to come down to the city it's like okay you know what you're the you're the big name i guess like that we're gonna sell this series with and it's like all right but uh we're having connection issues and like <laughs> i'm in a sort of weird conference room with like executives and i'm like this isn't how we get like right. good takes right and it wasn't it wasn't ideal and that's not also yeah. like shouldn't like making this like be like kind of a intimate process to some degree like yeah, yeah like i understand i you know basically you're projecting your hologram here okay we've got <laughs> like you're technically here your voice is being laid down on tape that's what we're trying to get but like this isn't how this is supposed to work yeah bad design yeah uh but uh, at seth meyers you were there before the show actually started right yeah what were like the months leading up to the show like for the writers um oh fun uh pete gross and john lutz uh were kind of like the elder statesmen the daddies of the room because they had been working actually and like most of the rest of us this was like our first uh tv writing job i think pete had the good idea to uh collect us all to go to lunch together every day in the commissary in the cafeteria um we don't do that anymore. Uh, and I think he knew that, like, eventually that was going to happen. Like, everybody's sort of on a different schedule. But for, like, the first couple of months, he's like, you know, while this is still, like, while we still have the ability to do this, we should go to lunch every day. And I think it was good because we bonded and, like, we got to know each other. It was mm-hmm. a smart move by Pete. Uh, were you, like, writing a bunch of test shows during that time? Yeah. We did a week of test shows. Yeah, look, was the show like the show that ended up airing? Was it dramatically different from the test shows, or was it pretty similar? Um, you know that's hard to say because the show kept kind of changing and evolving for like the first year or two, Mm -hmm. um, pretty consistently. Like the the show started with a completely different set of. I think it was, you know, <laughs> maybe a month before we started or like a couple of weeks before we started, we still didn't know what the music was going to be. Like, oh, we have the 8G band, um, of which Fred Armisen is, you know, technically the band leader and, and he plays, or he used to play a lot more, but, um, you know, technically he's the band leader that he hasn't been there as much lately. Is he technically still a band leader? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, but, like, a few weeks before the show started, we didn't have that put together. 
there was a time where people were talking that Q-Tip was going to be our DJ. Oh, whoa. And he was going to be like in a little booth. And I'm, I'm like, I can't even imagine <laughs> yeah. what that would have been like and how <laughs> their, like his interaction with Seth, what that would have been like. like. I don't know. It would have been a lot different. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it came, you know, things changed. And then, you know, the band was put together and Seth was doing the monologue. He was coming out of the center and, and like, uh, you know, starting on foot, like standing up like a classic kind of host. And a, I guess, you know, it didn't seem to me at the time when they changed it, when he started sitting down at the desk, like that was like some sort of miraculous big difference. But I think comfort wise it was for him. And that allowed us to sort of somehow like lock in a little bit more. Well, yeah, what was the decision like to do that? Because I remember when it was when it happened, people were going crazy about it. People were acting like it was the biggest yeah, deal. Yeah, I wonder why that was. I don't know. Do you think there was like a PR push or something like that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that does make a, a certain amount of sense. I mean, it, it is interesting to think of... I mean, it was... I mean, in the the tradition of late night, I guess that was a pretty big change because it's been like very rigid forever, but... Do the monologue yeah, sitting down. It's funny to think about it like that. I mean, like, there's so much different from, like, the conventional. Th- I think our show has, you know, anybody might say we, our show has more in common with, like, Jon Stewart's Daily Show than it does with, like, uh, like Carson. Right. <clears throat> um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you approach writing monologue jokes? Um, I don't. I don't, oh, you're, okay. I don't. I don't do that anymore. Well, I, I have really never done that. I did in the early days write monologue jokes um, because we all sort of did for a while. Uh, <laughs> here's kind of how it works. Like nobody really lays out what you're supposed to do <laughs> in our job. You just kind of have to sort of create stuff that gets on the show, and be. I think be you know useful um help you know make the show something and uh however you do that is how you do that so um in the beginning we were all doing everything we were all writing monologue and we were all writing sketches and then it kind of just naturally like the people who are more in inclined to write sketches were getting more sketches on and and leaning into writing sketches more and and uh, eventually stopped writing monologue jokes and I was among those people <laughs> and it's really the way to go because that that's basically what like me Seth Reese Amber Ruffin John Lutz Jermaine Afonso we're we're and Mike Carnell like we write sketches and we work on sketches and uh and everybody else writes monologue jokes. So the people who are writing monologue jokes are writing monologue jokes all day. And the people who are writing sketches write their sketches whenever the fuck they want. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not on a deadline. Our deadline for sketches is Thursday's table read. That's, you know, make sure it's in for then. Um, no, there's also desk pieces and stuff that everybody, you know, like, I, I have those pieces that I write and, and need to have, like, deadlines for. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, it's kind of self-selecting. It's like you sort of, like, lean into the things that you're good at and what you like doing, mm-hmm. and then that's what happens. And, and you created the you burnt desk piece, right? Yeah. How did that come about? I think it started out as something else. Like, 
I had originally written a more charactery sketch um, that w involved uh, like a friars club roast with like it was going to be like a sketch with the guest like mm -hmm. Seth and the guests I think both involved in they were either in character or they were being roasted by people who were in character like a friars club style yeah, yeah. and um there were some good moments of that sketch but ultimately like it it didn't they didn't want to do it, it wasn't good or something like that <laughs> and they were like no but we like the idea of a roast uh something involving like um like insult comedy is funny and like roasting people is funny or roasting things and and then i think i was watching um i was just like watching a lot of other desk pieces like conan and and uh and and, and try and letterman and just sort of trying to, to figure out what a desk piece was mm. and like how how could we make um more we were all we were trying to come up with refillable desk pieces that we could do and so i was like well maybe it'll maybe a roasting kind of desk piece would be good and i was also watching a lot of sports center at the time and i was like well i like this format um of a pardon the interruption where they oh the, the scrolling yeah, the yeah. list and they just like spend as much time on each topic as they need to and then they move on to the next one and i like how in sports television there's this like like kind of like aggro style where it's just like a lot of big sort of like chunky cgi blocks that just <laughs> sort of shoot across the screen and like there's like loud noise and like sort of like hard chugging rock and like <laughs> fire and it's just sort of like intense they try to give this impression of it's all intense and i was like i like that i'm gonna try and do that and maybe do the burn thing with it and so like they just he just talks about everything on the list for a couple seconds and then moves on to the next one and uh yeah and i and it was like yeah you burnt seemed like a <laughs> just like a very simple thing i think i actually was like trying to figure out a logo before I figured out like the the bit the phrase yeah the phrase I mean like the the phrase oh. isn't new like it like other people like have said you burnt but like I think like I had drawn out a logo and I was like oh yeah this would look good you know like this like <laughs> and so like the, you'll see the logo coming for your burnt that was like the first thing that was <laughs> developed for that what, what do you think uh, makes a good uh, desk piece uh. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, okay. The better desk pieces are the desk pieces that the writers like writing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if if a desk piece is too um, like cumbersome mentally, if it's like not fun to write, then people aren't going to do their best work on it, and they're not going to care. So the way we do desk pieces is whoever came up with the idea for the segment is in charge of the final product and, and the production of the sketch. So for me, I run You Burnt, and, and me and Matt Goldich, we, we do it together um, because he is a very good joke writer, and I have no interest in writing <laughs> writing <laughs> writing con like conventional set of punchline jokes um and uh 
and like what you what you do is we'll send a email out to the other writers and be like, hey, you burnt on the schedule, and uh, so we need everybody to send in like five jokes on here. Here's a list of topics and send them by the end of the day. So everybody sends in jokes and um, we'll go through the list and try to sort of like formulate our take and maybe we'll we already have the take and we already have like our sort of like thesis joke that we want to sort of build around and um and then it's kind of mathy you know like you got to find something that's funny funny enough to um funny enough funny enough <laughs> it's it's weird like this isn't like world changing stuff because like we've done 50 of them and we don't reuse topics mm-hmm. and like it's it's a topical sketch so like if if it's like okay we're doing one um in february all right well, what's in february valentine's day all right well we've done valentine's day we've done candy hearts <laughs> like we're getting into nitty-gritty stuff here that like people don't have a lot of strong opinions about right so it's kind of you know sometimes sometimes amount of just like slamming your head on the wall until you get like something that's like okay that, that, that'll work yeah mm-hmm. and you want it to be good you just can't spend, you know, your whole life trying to fine tune it. You mm-hmm. get, and then oftentimes what we'll do is we'll like, you know, we'll we'll be like killing ourselves to sort of get something that's okay in a first draft, and then we'll walk into the sketch room, into the sketch read, and Seth will read through it, and he'll be like, "No, nah, what about this?" And he'll be like, "Well, that's great. Like, why don't why didn't we use that to begin with?" It's like, <laughs> well, we don't know what you want. <laughs> Is that like a one of the harder things about doing like a late night show is that you have to like generate all this material that's like topical stuff that just happens and it's gone then you have to do it all over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Like how do you, yeah, how do you how do you deal with that? Uh I don't know. That part's like, you know, not my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> um let's see. What do I I mean, we just did something that I did really like. Um it was called Okay, so we we did this piece a couple nights ago where a candidate senator david jimenez announced he was running for president on our show and seth is you know interviewing this senator and saying like well this is a you know we're so glad that you came and and said this here and then uh suddenly another person shows up next to him and is like i'm also announcing that my candidacy for president (laughs) And then eventually there's like 20 different people announcing their candidate. And they're all just like fake politicians with new books out. And they're, right. you know, uh, championing like progress. Like we need a new voice to move forward in these hard times. As a mother of three and, you know, as a, you know, I grew up in the heartland and, you know, all this stuff. Right. Sort of like talking about like all the sort of conventional things that like in this sort of kind of field that's now just ever expanding of new democrats announcing their candidacy it's like who are these people like (laughs) why should we care and like and why is it important that they all announce on television shows it's kind of like (laughs) they're just sort of uh um you know trying to get their reputations out there and it's all horse shit (laughs) so i don't know i really liked it check out that sketch it was like it was fun because like the can like the audience really did think that somebody was announcing and they were genuinely surprised and like excited <laughs> and then they uh found out that they were uh, being taken for fools <laughs> they were being duped yeah and i love it when people get duped <laughs> uh is it frustrating to like 
do you uh, talk about politics all the time? In, yeah, on your show? I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm guess, very like non. I really don't like politics. That much. That's no secret to anybody in the writers' room there. Though <laughs> most of the stuff that I do, like ninety nine percent of it, is non political. Well, as a sketch writer, you probably do it much less so than than the monologue writers. Yeah, but it's hard because like this kind of brings us back to the monoculture stuff we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Well, what what is culture now? What are we, what do we have to comment on? Yeah, it's all politics. Mm-hmm. And it's all like boring stuff too, right? Repetitive, like non moments that kind of you know get presented to us on a daily basis as this could be important and then isn't really. Yeah, has it has it gotten worse since Trump became president? I guess obviously. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's when it all sort of just you know became what it is. Mm-hmm. I think when he was running. Do you think uh, you know if he loses in twenty twenty, you think things will change and go back to like a different different thing i don't know i don't think it's just gonna subside i think it's gotta be i think things kind of happen to have to happen as reactions to things like there's got to be people who are pissed off that this is like i'm i'm like i'm pissed off that trump is president like just as much as the next person but like i'm not going to have the same reaction of outrage every day for 600 something days in a row that right. seems like madness to me yes it's 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 not great you know what else is not great that like the media like news the mainstream news media purports itself to you know be uh like above it but they're the ones forcing this down right. our throats right and it's not it's not like we don't need to know we do need to know about a lot of this stuff but they, you know, make it salacious. They make it, they make, they, they, they're, they're, they're doing this fake out stuff that serves their own ability to attract eyeballs. They want Trump. Right. Now, so late night shows kind of, um, talk, you know, they obviously talk about Trump a lot. Do you think that's like, do you think that's them? reacting to the to like the world or like the world or like i guess what i'm saying is do you think audiences want want the the political talk shows do audiences want political talk shows um i think that there is a degree of uh dependency mm. i mean i wouldn't i don't know if i would say addiction but it is something like an addiction where um, much like just sort of like checking your email or checking your social media feed, like the, I think it's maybe related to a fear of missing out. Like you don't, you feel just more secure, like checking in and making sure you're up to the moment. Like the page is refreshed, that you, you have the latest information. You don't want to be behind. No one needs to be up to the moment really most people don't need to be but you feel like you need to be right um and there is there's an um, there is a degree of addiction to that feeling and there's also an an addiction to feeling uh like validated um so whereas i think a lot of people feel like the world's gone crazy uh because trump is in office and uh and he's 
you know, the way he is, uh, tuning in to credible um, sources of information to give voice to your thoughts that's eloquent and funny and well put and uh, um, is, 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 a, is a form of validation that people are um, chasing and somewhat addicted to, have become yeah. somewhat addicted to. Yeah, so you see, that's is that is that that's it? That's you think that's the that's where I, we're at now? Well, I mean, who who among us will say, you know what I fucking love? I love when a late night talk show talks about politics. Right. No, it's not somebody somebody's like doing because they're like, man, this is my jazz. It's like it's it's somebody like it's what they're doing. It's the equivalent of eating, like it's like you're at the cash register and there's a Snickers bar and you're like, yeah, hmm. I need that. I need that today. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what would you like to be doing next? Um, yeah, I... Uh, mm, writing more. Uh, acting more. Acting more. No. Yeah, I... I uh, Hopefully, will be. I mean, I, I got I shot some parts in some films recently, and uh, there's one of them's for sure gonna come out later this year. Uh, a part in the Joker movie. Oh, whoa, cool. Yeah, and uh, that's exciting. And um, then I shot a part in the most recent Woody Allen movie that was shot like oh. it was shot like I I shot my scene. In late 2017, and um, that I mean that movie might never come out because mm-hmm. did you hear about Woody Allen? <laughs> uh. But you know, like, I, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go too deep into like uh, all of the nuance of that. I will just say that like I got cast. Uh, to play opposite Timothy Chalamet, and it was like a part that I could yeah, not yeah. turn down, and it was a good scene, <laughs> and I w- and I really hope I can see it one day. Oh man, did you yeah. hear about Woody Allen? That's got a <laughs> favorite moment on the podcast for me right there. Um, okay, so we're gonna wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a, a sketch idea. Uh, sure. so uh, a lawyer instead of representing his client like in a murder trial. Starts to debate that game night is better than Roma. Say, start over. So yeah, a lawyer. Yeah. Instead of representing his clients in a in a murder trial, he just starts to argue that game night is a better movie than Roma. Mm-hmm. So he's like he could not have been at the murder. Is, is this closing arguments? Yeah, kind okay. of. Well, interesting. I don't know. Do you think that's a good place for it? Yeah, like that makes sense because yeah. then he, it's like a monologue that yeah. you can kind of go off on. Yes. Um. All I had left to say is he could not have been the murder scene who was watching a movie, Roma, which is overrated, especially compared to the Superior Game Night. So something like that. Okay, yeah. He, he's Yeah, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. And I see there's a ticket stub for Roma over in your electrical box over there. Oh, that's that was my friend put that there, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you feel that Roma was overrated? I haven't seen No, it I don't. I actually really liked Roma. Okay, I haven't seen I it. I actually like, really like both those movies, Roma and Game Night. Yeah, Game Night was fun, huh? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that sounds like a fun sketch idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing about that, though, right? 
Let's see it. Write it up. Right. Uh, everybody's got a fucking idea. The execution <laughs> is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, most shit is like, okay, that's a good idea. Anybody's mom can tell you, you know, it would be a really funny scene or sketch. Be like, well, would it be? Maybe in the right hands. If like somebody like has, you know, something inspired or really interesting or original, like a way to take, to do a take on this or like, you know, are you funny? Are you a funny writer? Then probably it will be funny. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I don't know, you know, and then again, like, I don't know. Half of everything you write might just be garbage to, like once you put it on paper. Right. <laughs> I guess, yeah, so this segment is all just like sketch pitches because I, I don't want to make anyone read a sketch ah. before they like come to do a podcast for an hour. Okay. But yeah, I think that is a good point because, you know, there are certainly bad ideas and certainly better ideas, but it is execution is can save bad ideas and execution can hurt. When you're writing ideas. something... If it makes you laugh, and then you read it again, and it makes you laugh again, like it makes you like, yeah, like I don't know, that kind of gets me. Like I write for myself. Like when I when I'm really like, when I'm really writing something that I think is good, it's like when I, like oftentimes can't explain why this is the scene, but it just makes me laugh. Because mm-hmm. one, if if people laugh, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. Yeah, it doesn't matter why anything's happening. If mm-hmm. it makes people laugh, oh yeah. If I could pass on one one sort of thing to people who write comedy is it should make people laugh. <laughs> it, that's I think it's it's weird to think that that goes without saying, but like not lately. It, you gotta make people <laughs> laugh if you're writing comedy. It's not about like anything else. Yeah, <laughs> like. Okay, sometimes, it, you know, it's art. Sometimes it's exploratory. Sometimes you want to, like, try something else. But, like, you got to make people laugh, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thanks for coming to Anything you want to plug? Um, is there anything I want to plug? Follow me on Instagram, I guess. or Yeah, Instagram or Twitter. I, I think on Instagram I finally started to sort of figure out what the hell it is I, I'm doing. <laughs> I, mean, I don't post a lot on Instagram, but I, I do stories more. And now I'm starting to sort of feel like, oh, I, I know, like, I, I've started to sort of, like, figure out, like, oh, I found, like, a fun way to do this. And this is fun for me now. <laughs> I can I can post things that I think are, like, funnier and interesting, and it's, like, I, I think I know how I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Ben Warheit on, on both platforms. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.